Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. So this is our first Sunday in Advent, this four-week period of anticipating and waiting for the story of God coming as a small child, as a baby, born in a manger. And this series, we are focusing on questions that get asked as a result of this story. The announcement of this story brings questions. Uh, The whole thing brings questions, and we're going to unpack that today. And we're going to look at one question today from a man named Zechariah. So if you have in your Bibles uh, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and it reads like this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is even born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents, of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, The people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. 
This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. I want to ask you a question. Who was it that told you? Who was it that told you that when it comes to the things of God, the things of faith, stories in the Bible, that you shouldn't ask questions? Anybody ever told, told you that? Don't ask those questions. Just believe, just trust. Think about that for a moment. Somewhere along the line, many of us were, were told or, or encouraged I'm going to encourage you not to ask those questions. Why is that? Why do we do that? Where does that come from? Was it a story like this one where Zechariah does ask a question and he's struck with silence and so we take in, oh, bad to ask questions. Well, over these next several weeks, we're going to discover something that in the Christmas story, there are a lot of questions that people have as as the announcement of what God is up to comes. For instance, Mary gets asked, or she asks a question after the announcement of what is going to happen with her. She doesn't get struck with silence. Many other people have questions, and so would we if we really grasped how remarkable this story is. And Zechariah asked this question, how can I be sure? You know, I was reflecting back when, when I did college ministry in Chattanooga for 16 years. Um, many of our staff came from my home church in Seattle, Washington, which is a different, different culture than the Bible Belt of the South, right? It's more similar to here, where it's not a common cultural thing to go to church, and and so many of us had had asked questions. I was somebody that was raised, you know this, as as a as an atheist, and I was taught to doubt everything, ask a bunch of questions, be kind of critical about what I heard, all of that. But we we all kind of descended upon the the buckle of the Bible Belt in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we started working with students. That if you've ever lived in the South. There's certainly a part of that culture there that discourages questions. Just believe. You shouldn't ask questions like that. Don't doubt. There's a fear underneath of asking questions that are about the faith because what, what, what will that mean? What will that do? And what was refreshing for us over that time is that, that the students, as we encouraged their questions, it's like the lid came off from years of going, of being told, I shouldn't ask this, I shouldn't ask this, I should not ask this. And I think a more robust faith, we pray, came about because these students were, were able to ask these questions and show that the questions do not take us away from our faith in God, but may in fact deepen it. Because after all, friends, the Bible is full of questions. Just open to the book of Psalms, and you will find question after question after question. How long, O Lord? How long will the wicked prosper in the world? That's a good question. How about the question that Jesus utters from the cross? My God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. There are questions all throughout the Bible, but somewhere you and I picked up along in the, in the church or from teachers, hey, don't ask questions. It shows a lack of faith, a lack of trust. 
But Zechariah asks a question, I think, for all of us. How can I be sure? How can I be sure of this story that, that, that God is going to give me and my, my wife a child who's going to prepare the way for the Lord himself to become flesh and dwell among us full of grace and truth? I mean, let's remember this. Christmas is a celebration of the God who made everything, becoming a single human being, born to an unmarried couple and dwelling among us full of grace and truth. And he was God with us. Zechariah asks, how how can I be sure? It's not a bad question. Let's look at Zechariah for a minute. I want you to picture something. So Zechariah was a priest. So let's translate it a little bit and let's call him a pastor just for argument's sake, okay? And and the role of of a priest or a pastor is to communicate the things of God, maybe even intercede for the people, for God, to pray for the people on behalf of God. Now, in Zechariah's time, the idea that, that a couple could not have children meant that there was a belief that they were cursed by God. So if you were a member of the congregation of Zechariah, and that was your belief, how did Zechariah put up with the whispers? How did Zechariah put up with the, the, you know, the people putting this, you know, when he stands up up front? Did he ever hear somebody go, do you think, think our prayers are really going to get heard when it's him? I mean, shouldn't there, there's probably something wrong with him, right? There's something wrong with Elizabeth. God must know something. Must be hidden sin, must be something that they can't have a child. That was the belief then. That all of that was wrapped up in not being able to have a child. And you just think for a moment in the congregation, how would you have received the ministry of Zechariah? How did Zechariah handle this? It's a tough job. Do you ever notice that under questions that people ask, if there are probably a lot of other questions? What I mean is this. Zechariah asks the question, how can I be sure? But when we unpack and think about it for a moment, underneath that question are decades of disappointment, longing to have a child with his wife, Elizabeth, and maybe trying to comfort and console his wife, who again had her hopes risen and then falling when they could not have a child. So how can I be sure probably... Zechariah just wanted to ask the question of the angel, how do I really know you're telling the truth? How do I know I won't be disappointed again? Because I've been disappointed. Sometimes the questions that we ask, there's all layers of questions underneath all of them. And I've got a question as I've been looking at this passage for several weeks that Was Zechariah's silence really a punishment? Consequence of his disobedience? 
Maybe it's more of a miracle. I mean, imagine this, a pastor at a loss for words. It's like a Christmas miracle. But in all seriousness, I mean, if you start looking at some commentaries on this passage, there's a lot of commentaries, I want to be clear here, that will say, oh yeah, punishment for disobedience. After all, most English translations have this verse written this way, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So it's hard for us to not go, oh yeah, it's consequence for that. But I did a little digging. So the word because, there are multiple Greek words that can be used for because. The three primary ones are hoti, gar. What's the third one? I forgot it. I remember it in the first one. And dia, meaning through or because of. So it shows, those three words show up in verses like this. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus said, because, because great is your reward in heaven. There's a, there's a cause and effect there. And Jesus uses the word hoti. And then later, uh, about the birth of John, he will be called a prophet of the Most High to give knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of God. But none of those three primary words for because are used here. And it made me curious as to why. They could have been. It's usually how you translate and show a cause and effect. But interestingly, and only here, the phrase anti-hos is used, but gets translated because into our language. Anti-hos literally means in place of this, in place of this. So we can read what Gabriel is saying like this. You will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place. In place of this, you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is I'm wondering if this, this silence is given in place of Zechariah's question. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the idea that when we disobey God, that there are consequences. Don't hear me here like that. Okay, I don't, I don't, I'm not, that's what I'm trying to say, but I was curious as to why this phrase in place of is used. Silence is given in place of a question. This consequence is given in place of a question. Sometimes, perhaps, when we ask the question, our best posture is going to be to be quiet. Does that make sense? What Zechariah receives is a season of silence. By the way, not to spoil his story, but the first words out of his mouth become a song. When John is born, it all comes to pass. The silence is broken with a song. How beautiful is that? So, silence enters into in place of, your place of unbelief and questioning. 
Now, why else do I think that maybe this isn't just a consequence of, of, of Zechariah's disobedience or his sin? We know that Jesus is later going to talk about how certain things are not necessarily the result always of someone's sin and disobedience. One time he was asked why 18 people died when a tower fell upon them, and Jesus very clearly said it wasn't a result of their sin. Or maybe this story you might, might know in the Gospel of John. He was asked directly about a man that was born blind. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And what did he say? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but so that the works of God may be displayed in him. And I'm just wondering, could the same thing be true of Zechariah's silence? It wasn't so much that he asked the question and maybe didn't believe. Can we blame him? No. He's human just like all of us. But maybe this is a sign. The silence is a sign and might even be a posture that we want to take as we approach this season of God coming to save us. What gift could silence be in this season when we might have questions about whether all of this is real? What does silence do in a season like this? Now, I'll admit, maybe I'm reading a lot into the passage, but I think I can really identify with Zechariah in this time. Because for 26 years, I have very regularly prepared a message for a group of people and spoken in front of them sometimes twice a week, sometimes this nine years here, twice on Sundays, Christmas Eve, I get to end with four times. I do a lot of talking, right, in front of people. And yet, as I think about the next year, I'm not going to be doing so much talking. I don't know a single time that I'll be preaching in 2024. And I've begun to think about what will that silence teach me? What do I learn by listening to other people? Instead of the rhythm of my week being study, have some conversations, listen to God, and then speak a bunch, what will it be like to listen and listen and listen and not speak? What will God teach me in that? Yeah, maybe I'm reading a little bit into Zechariah's story a little bit, but I, th- I would imagine Zechariah came out of that time of silence a much different man. A much different man. After all, he emerged from it singing. In place of a desire that we have, all of us have it for certainty, right? We have a desire to know that all of this is certain, a sure foundation. Most all of us would probably love a sign of some kind, but in place of a sign, maybe we should embrace silence. Silence entered into in place of Zechariah's unbelief. Maybe for some of us, silence is that thing that's going to enter into this place of apathy that some of us have when we 
hit this season and we go, oh, it's just another Christmas. Maybe silence can enter into that place that some of us might be in where we're going, I have so many unmet expectations around these holidays. I want everything to be perfect. I want everything to go well. I want everybody to be happy. Maybe silence can enter into the place of all of that and teach us something. Because what happens when we're silent? We start using other senses, right? We start watching more. We're waiting, looking, expecting even. And that's what Advent's about. This whole season is about being quiet long enough to watch for God, wait for God, expect God. How can we be sure that God loves us so much that he became one of us? Well, maybe the best posture we can begin to imitate is Zechariah's. To be silent, to be waiting, wondering, watching for signs of God this Christmas season. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the Sanctuary for Classic Worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for Modern Worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening. 